0: Meditate in your hearts for just a moment. Father God, tonight, Lord, that song really says it. Father, that there's nothing, Father, nothing this world has to offer that compares to you. Father, may we keep you front and center. Father, tonight we come, Lord, to Once again, look at a couple of your names. Father God, ways that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. Lord, so that we may love you more intimately. Father, we may know who you are because of the names that you have chosen to have people call you. That Father, describe exactly who you are. Father, I do pray tonight, Lord, you would speak to us. Father, once again, as we open your word, Father, you would soften our hearts. Father, you would open our ears to hear from Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that while we might hear some things tonight, we already know. That, Lord, you would help us to move them from our head to our heart, to the center of who we are, to our actions To what makes us. And Father may we worship you by knowing who you are. Father God I just pray everything in the precious most holy name of your son Jesus. Amen. And amen you glad you're here tonight as we worship the Lord. going to look at a couple of his names tonight. I was going to go with one name, which actually is kind of one name, but it's two. We're going to look at the name of God in the Old Testament, which is the same as the name of Jesus in the New Testament. We're going to look at some of the differences there, but they're primarily the same thing. So let's take a look at our first name. I think here we're going to... We're going to look at, we got it there in the Greek, of course I know all of y'all, excuse me, the Hebrew, all of y'all have learned that by now to to read that. Uh, We would say it today is Adonai. Have you ever heard that one? Let me hear you say Adonai. That's one that we're going to look at tonight and this Adonai, we'll go to the next slide there, we'll see that it's, we pronounce it as Adonai, but it is Lord or Master. But I want you to notice one difference. Remember last week was it that we looked at Yahweh? And in the Old Testament, in our English translations, you will see Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is Yahweh, which is the name of God that he chose his people to call him, dealing with his covenant name. But here, Adonai is Lord, capital L, and then small, O-R-D. So when you see it in your Bible, you will see it printed two different ways, two different words. Isn't that amazing that God does that to help us? out so that we don't have to do that. Now, a lot of times you will see, uh, not a lot of times, but sometimes you will see Adonai just translated as God. If it's Yahweh, God, then you will have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and then God instead of Lord, Lord. I mean, he could have done that and he could have made it, but he makes it simple and Lord God. But we're going to be looking at Adonai in the Old Testament. Being in the little letters other than the first part of it, and this word Adonai, or Lord, or Master, is used in the Old Testament over 300 times God is referred to as Lord or Master. Take your Bibles, and probably the first instance we will find is in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is calling on God. God is speaking to Abraham. He's giving him that covenant. And Abraham and God are having a conversation about him not having any children. And look at Genesis 15 verse 2. And Abraham said, O Lord Yahweh. Or your Bible might say, O Lord God. God. What will you give me as I go on being childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? He's saying, God, you've given me a promise. You're my master. I'm going to do what you say. But what am I to do going, I still don't have a child. And you've promised me a child. And then we are going to look at, uh, spend some time at Moses calling on God as Adonai. Over, Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. This is where we're going to spend some time. You're familiar with this story, giving you just a little bit of it. Then we're going to read it, look at it, and and break it down. But you remember that Moses was out in the wilderness uh, tending to the flock of his father. And he saw the bush burning and what was unique about that bush, do you remember? It didn't burn up. I think that would get my attention. I don't know about you, David, but you know, you burn a bunch of brush pile out there by your house. Have you ever seen one burn and not go away? If it's us today, we'd probably throw some more gasoline on it trying to figure out or diesel what's happening. But God's presence was that fire and the bush didn't go. He was calling on Moses to send him to go speak to Pharaoh to release his people. I want us to listen and look. You're going to see the name Yahweh or Lord in all caps. And then the Lord in the little letters. Let's take a look. Beginning verse 1 chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me? and will not listen to my voice for they may say yahweh has not appeared to you and yahweh said to him what is this in your hand and he said a staff then he god said throw it on the ground so he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and moses fled from it moses is a smart man you see a snake we flee from it okay And Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and took hold of it and became a a staff in his hand. Let me pause there just a minute. Do any of you know anything about snakes? They'll scare you. They're poisonous. And the last thing you do if you don't want to get bit is turn around and pick it up by its tail. But God told Moses to pick it up by the tail. And as soon as he was obedient... He picked it up by the tail. It turned back into a staff. Now let's pick up there and continue on. Verse 5. That they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And Yahweh father said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom. Then he took it out, and behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Return your hand into your bosom. So he returned his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it returned to being like the rest of his flesh. And so it will be. If they will not believe you or listen to the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the second sign. But if it will be that they will not believe even these two signs, and that they will not listen to your voice, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry land, and water which you will take from the Nile will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to Yahweh, here it is, Please, Lord, you see the capital L, all little letters, Please, Adonai, I have never been a man of words, Neither recently nor in the past, nor since you have spoken to your slave, for I am one with a hard mouth and a hard tongue. And Yahweh said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf, or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? So now go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and will instruct you what you shall speak. But he said, Please, Lord, please, Adonai, send now the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of Yahweh burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he can certainly speak. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you, and he will see you and be glad in his heart. And you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will instruct you in what you shall do. Moreover, you shall speak for the people, for you to the people. And he will become as a mouth for you. And you will become as God to him. And you will take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So we see here in this recording that God, Yahweh, is speaking to Moses and Moses calls upon him as Lord or Master. We see this all evident through all of this scripture. Look back over there at the very beginning when he told Moses to what? throw the snake on the ground. What did Moses do? He threw the snake on the ground. God was his master. God told him, throw it, he threw it down. He had to truly believe in his master when God told him, pick it up by the tail. He reached down, pick it up by the tail. God told him, take your hand, put it, in your, you put it in your shirt, we might say today. He put it in his shirt, he brought it out, it was leprous. God told him again, and he listened, master, put your hand back in your shirt. He put his hand in his shirt, he brought it out. You see, God is wonderful with obedience. There's a lot that he can do. He is our master. He is the one to whom we worship. And then he calls on to him. He's still seeing this bush burn and speaking and he tells him to go. Now this is where it gets interesting because then Moses said to Yahweh, Lord, I've never been a man of words. We don't see here where he says, God, I'm not going. I want you to notice that. He's calling on him as Lord, as Master. He says, God, you know I can't speak. Then what does God tell him? I'm the one that gives you voice. I'm the one who makes you speak. I'm the one who makes you see. I'm the one who does everything. As master, he provides all the provisions for the servant, the one below the master, the one of inferior rank. God's going to give him everything that he needed. And once again, Moses said, please, Lord, please, master, send now the message by whomever you will. God, your master, you know I really don't want to go, but send it by whoever you will. Then God's anger burned. He didn't do away with Moses. We know Moses had him as master in his heart because it says his anger burned and he said, Your brother Aaron is coming. Now, here, God's going to do what God wants. God's master. Okay? God is creator, He is all sovereign. We don't fully understand the word sovereign today. We don't have kings or queens like they used to back then. I mean, a sovereign king, when a command was given, I mean, the buck stopped there. There wasn't nothing else. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's going to get his message out there. Moses was afraid because he didn't speak well. He probably stuttered, had a, a, maybe a tied tongue or something wasn't going on right and he knew he was going to have to go for them. He didn't want to go. He was willing. But can we pause? And this is not really in the scripture. We see this in some other places. But think. What did Moses miss out on? By not fully stepping out in total faith and going. God called him to go. God would have allowed him to speak. But God wanted to use Moses, he chose Moses, he called on Moses, Moses believed in him as Lord, as Master, as Adonai, and he went, but yet he used someone else to speak through him. But do you notice here, God didn't say that he told him that his brother Aaron was coming, but God didn't say Moses step aside, I'm going to speak to Aaron, Aaron's going to go do it, what does he tell him, Moses you're mine. I'm your master, Moses, and I'm calling you, Moses, as Nye, and I want you to go. Now Aaron can go and speak for you, but I'm going to speak to you, Moses, and Moses, you will then tell Aaron what to say, and Aaron will say it. Because of Moses' heart in calling on him as Adonai, we have lots of scripture where God used Moses. He went in and they spoke to Pharaoh. He was obedient as master, as a slave to his master, words that people don't like today. But as a slave, he is a master, the Adonai, the Lord over that. And he used him. And he told him, here's what you're going to do and here's how you're going to do it. And when Moses did exactly what he said, God accomplished his plan. Now there are lots of places in Psalms and other places, as I said, over 300 times that you will see the word Adonai used in the Old Testament. But I want us to look now in the New Testament at the word Lord, which you will see as curios. Let's see here if we got that. Are we Are going to look in the New Testament? Oh, now, no longer Hebrew, it's Greek. A little easier to recognize, but not fully. And I love the Greek, it goes from left to right. We don't have to read backwards today. But you have KY, and then looks like a P is actually R, I-O-N-S, is curious. But here is where you got to pay close attention. In the Old Testament, if you see... Go ahead and go to that next slide. If you see CAPS, all caps, LORD, in the Old Testament, it's Yahweh. It's the given name of God. In the little letters, it is LORD, MASTER. Now, when you get in the New Testament... When you see it typed out in all capitals, it's not referring to Yahweh, but it's referring to Kyrios or Lord or Master in the New Testament. And Jesus is our Adonai. So here are two names we're looking at tonight because they go together. We have Adonai and we have Kyrios. Jesus is our Kyrios, our Lord, our Master. We talked about this in the Old Testament. Lord, Master. What is a Master? There's two main definitions when you get into the biblical languages for Master. And one of those is one who is in charge by virtue of possession and ownership. Someone is Master when they own someone else. I do understand That we live in the 21st century and people don't like to hear that. I'm not owned by nobody. Nobody's going to own me. We talk about slave and servants and masters. And for many it brings up a wealth of emotion. But when we understand that a true master has a responsibility for providing for his possession... For those slaves to take care of them, not to beat them, but to take care of them, to provide for them, it becomes a sweet and harmonious relationship. There are many people in scripture that we read about that were servants. Paul calls himself a servant of the Lord. So a master is one who is in charge by virtue of possession. He is the owner. And secondly, one who is in a position of authority is a master. So we're going to look at both of those definitions because I believe we see both of those in the scripture. As we look at this, let's take now and turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 In verse 38, we see where Paul refers to the security of our salvation by virtue of possession. See, we as believers are secure in our salvation because we are owned by God. And it is God's responsibility as our owner, as our master, as our curios, to take care of us. So let's see what he says in Romans 8 verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, which is in Christ Jesus our Curios, which is in Christ Jesus our Master, in Jesus In his bloodshed, in him as our master, he is our Lord. He provides for us, he protects us, our salvation is secure in him. I mean, come on, Paul covered it all. Is there anything he didn't cover? In death or life? I mean, there it is right there, you're either alive or you're dead. But he goes on and he breaks it down even more than that. He said, nor angels, nor rulers. Nothing present, nothing to come, there's no powers There's no height or no depth, nothing in the sky, nothing in the grave, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. What a powerful thing. You see, this master servant isn't so bad after all. We're secure in him. What a blessing that is that he is our Lord. We also see that Paul refers to Jesus as Lord or Master in his position of authority. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to see Jesus as Lord and Master because he's in a position of authority. Not only is he our owner, but he is our authority. He is in a position higher than we are. We could look at this the way he created, and the creator is over the created thing. So Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this way of thinking in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave... "...being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, amen." Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Kurios. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus is master to the glory of God the Father. I mean we see it right here. Jesus is not only Kurios. But he is the curiosity he is our master, because even he himself, being God, but in the form of man, humbled himself under submission to be obedient to God. He says, have this thinking in you. I believe he's telling us here in this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, basically he's probably saying, don't worry about being a servant. Don't worry about being obedient. I mean, even Jesus Christ did that. Are you better than he is? But he tells us no. He says, have this thinking in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although existing in the form of God. Now here's one of these things that we'll never understand this side of heaven. He was all God and he was all man. He was in the form of God, but he did not regard equity or equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of man. He did not empty himself of his deity. I want you to understand that. I know y'all know this, but there are those out there who would tell you that that's what it's talking about. He did not empty himself of his deity. He was always God. He clothed over his glory. Because if he would have come in all of his glory, we couldn't have looked upon him. We'd have never been able to see who he was. It is more than we could have even fathomed. And God said, I want you to know me. So he sent his son who put on flesh, become flesh... But he said he didn't think that it was a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. I want you to just briefly think in your mind at all of the miracles that you can recount of real quickly that Jesus did. You could probably just pop off a bunch of them. But I want you to think about every one of those miracles in this way. Jesus never did a miracle for himself. Every miracle he did was for someone else and a point to the Father. So that's what he's saying here. He didn't regard it equality to God to be grasped at any time, taking on the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance in a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Remember, Jesus gets baptized. Spirit looked like a dove come out of heaven. God opened up the clouds and said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus' earthly ministry starts. What does he do? He goes off in the wilderness for 40 days. He doesn't eat anything. I barely go 40 minutes. I mean, you can kind of tell that right here. I'm working on it, but it ain't working too good. 40 days, he would have been hungry. What did Satan do? He said, turn these stones into bread. Oh, okay. He's hungry. He's got the right. He created it. All he'd had to do, say, stones become bread. He'd have had bread. No one was there. No one would have seen. He didn't. He could have called on angels. He told him to jump off when he was on the cross. He could have called on angels. You know, he's hanging on that cross, church. He felt every one of those whips. We talked about this the other night, just briefly. Those cat-of-nine-tails that he was beaten with are long strands, and they have pieces of maybe rock or bone or glass in them. They're long, and when they would go to whip Jesus, it would come across his back, wrap around to the front, and when they would pull it back, it would just rip flesh. He was human. He felt that. They made fun of him. He had emotions. That was ridicule. You can probably remember being in school. Somebody call you a name with sticks and stones. You know all that kind of baloney. He felt that. It hurt. His own people looking at him saying kill him. He felt it when they put those crown of thorns on there and just pushed them down into a skull. And then through all that paraded as a Dog and pony show down the street for everybody to see. Carrying his own cross till he could no longer do it. And then I love the video that we saw a few years ago at Easter. When it come to the crucifixion. You know often we picture in our mind them struggling and getting Jesus down there. And hitting it like all the other thieves. But that movie I believe portrayed it where he crawled himself up on that cross. And he felt it. When they drove those nails through his hands and through his feet. He's God. He could have called an angel. To just zap them out of there. And take him on to glory. He could have. But he was obedient to God. All the way through death. Can we not be obedient. In what little bit he's asking. We call on him. As that. And we see here that Paul is writing to those. And because of that. God also exalted him and bestowed on him the name, the beautiful name which is above every name. You see, he's called Jesus Christ there at verse 11. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord is put there with his name of Jesus Christ to exalt him above. You see, as I said there, he is the one who is in position of authority. Man, what a name, Curios. What does that mean to us? You see, Jesus is to be Lord. New Testament, all capitals, curios, master of our lives, not just our Savior. I mean, people you know try to call on God to be their Savior. Oh i don't want to go to hell, give me a free ticket. So much more than that. See, Jesus is Lord. Let's look at Romans 10, verse 9. Romans 10, verse 9. We were just there a few weeks ago. What does Paul say? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as... Does it say Savior there to you? No, mine has Kyrios, Lord, all capital. If you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, Master... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, we call on him as Lord, as master, and the fringe benefit is our salvation, praise the Lord. But we have to call on him as Lord. We have to surrender who we are to God because Jesus is Lord. Turn back just a few pages, Romans six eighteen. Romans chapter six verse eighteen. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You know, people might say, I don't want to be a slave of God. I don't want to be a slave of no one. Let me tell you, everyone on this earth is a slave to something. Before we were believers, we were slaves to sin. Sin ruled us. Sin controlled us. Satan was our master. But as we believe in him, we call on Jesus as our master. We get a position change. We get a change. And it tells us here that then we need to become slaves of righteousness. We need to become slaves of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and he is our righteousness. But we're also bought or we're purchased. Which means that we're owned or that we belong to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20 plainly spells it out for us. For if you're a believer, Christ had to die on the cross. It tells us here verse 20, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. I believe in a way that as believers we have downplayed to our own detriment this idea of free salvation. Yes, salvation is free to us. We receive it just as, as Christmas, if I may use this without being too sacrilegious here, just as Christmas, we all receive gifts from someone else. Have any of you... Ever had to buy the gift that someone was handing you? Now, oftentimes we buy our own Christmas presents. I understand that. But when someone gives you a gift, did you have to buy it? No, it was a gift. But it was not free. It cost somebody something. There's nothing free in this world. Welfare is not free Medicare, Medicare, all this social security, all this stuff, nothing's free. It costs somebody. Somebody has to pay for everything. Well, salvation costs something for us to be changed, to be separated from God, to come to a right relationship with him. It costs something. It tells us that we were bought with a price. What were we bought with? The price of Jesus Christ, the most precious Price could be paid. God loves mankind enough that he said my son will be your price. That he will die for you. Someone has to die. God said that from the very beginning. Sin requires death. A separation from God death and a life death. And Christ was the ultimate one. And we were bought with that price. So if you are a believer, understand that Jesus is your kurios. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your master because you were bought with a price. A master has ownership. You're owned by God. So verse 23, excuse me, verse 20 says, Therefore glorify God in your bodies. We have a responsibility as a believer to glorify God in what we do. We're not here to live a willy nilly life. We're not here to just do as we so please to do. Sorry, if you're a believer, you were bought with a price and you have a responsibility, and that is to call on Christ because when you accepted him, you called on him to be your Lord, your master. You surrendered yourself to him and you said, I'm not worthy. You become in control. Well, don't take it back. We need to glorify God with our bodies with what we do. Do we do these things to earn our salvation? Heaven forbid it, as Paul would say. May it not be. We do it because we love him. We do it because we have surrendered ourselves over and he is our master. And he gives us a way to live. That way to live is to sanctify us, to set us apart. We grow through our entire life. Becoming more like Him. We're growing in this righteousness, but others are watching us. But this, that He calls us to glorify God in our bodies, is for the betterment of our bodies. And I'll close in this with one thing that I've shared with you before God put fish in water, fish breathe in water. God told the fish to stay in the water. Did he do that to punish the fish? I mean, there's so much wonderful things out here on land. No. What happens? If the fish gets out of the water, he's going to die. He can't breathe. He's not in his protected environment. Well, that's the same thing. God gives us boundaries to live within. He clears out a path for us to walk in, not to punish us, but because he knows what's best for us. You see, if we're a believer... Scripture tells us is the way we do that, we saw there in Romans, is to call on him and to verbally confess and to testify that he is Lord, he is Master. And we agree to come underneath and to be purchased through his bloodshed. So you see, church, Curios, Lord, Adonai, Old Testament, New Testament, Who is this God that we claim we worship? He's our master. And when we approach him as master, we don't approach him as the master that we read about in our history books. Throw that out. We approach him as master, one who loves us, one who's going to provide for us, one who is going to Ask us to do things, but guess what? He's going to provide everything we need. Moses, I need you to go. Oh God, you know I can't speak. Moses, who gives the voice? He tried to tell him right there. I believe if Moses would have went, he would have probably been the most oratorical orator that ever spoke to Pharaoh. Because God would have been speaking through him. But he chose to be obedient and going. Someone else spoke through. You know, we can live this life as a believer and we can get through it. Or we can experience all of the richness and the fullness of his righteousness if we will totally surrender to Adonai, if we will totally surrender to our curios, to our Lord, to our Master. He's a wonderful master. He loves and he provides. May you bow your heads. Father God, we do come before you tonight, Lord. And Father, we say that word, Lord, Lord, calling on you as our Adonai or our Kurios. Lord, that's what I call you tonight. Father, thank you that you chose to reveal so that I would understand that you're not just a friend. You're not just a savior. But foremost, you're my master. Father, may I approach you in the morning to seek you as master, seeking you for direction for that day. Father, as the New Testament talks about a a soldier doesn't entangle himself with the daily affairs so that he can please the one who's sent him. Fathers, believers, you sent us. Lord, may we come to you knowing that you are love. Father, knowing that you are the God of covenants. Father, you are Yahweh. And now, Lord, we learn to call you Adonai, Kurios, Lord, master father help us in our love for you as we understand who you are and how it is that we need to approach you father first we approach you as master thank you thank you that you love me enough that you purchased me with the price of the death of your son And then, Father, you loved him. You were pleased in him, Father, and you restored him to life. And now, Father, he's at your right hand, being our master. Thank you, thank you, thank you.